All right. Hey, guys, this is Rome, Tennessee Progressive League, coming back today, speaking with uh, someone that I have just discovered. I think you guys will be impressed with this organization and what they're trying to achieve. Um, I'm speaking with Taylor, and she's with the Chattanooga chapter of Moms for Social Justice. That's right. Social justice. We're still doing that. Um, and if Taylor, if you'd like to introduce yourself. Absolutely. Thanks. Thanks for having me, Rome. I appreciate it. Um, I'm Taylor Lyons. I am one of the co-founders and I'm the community outreach director for the uh, Chattanooga Moms for Social Justice. We are the original um, organization. We have a few chapters uh, scattered throughout the country at this point. And, um, you know, as recently as this week, uh, as a result of one of my uh, you know, remarks at the school board going a little bit viral, I guess. We've had um, several women in different parts of the country reach out to us over the last couple of days asking how they can uh, start chapters of MSJ in their city. So we're really excited to have some of those conversations because ultimately we would love to see um, super progressive groups of moms pop up all over the country to uh, to sort of push back on on what we're seeing from the right, which is, you know, super, super conservative uh, mothers groups popping up and, and taking over school boards. Right. They almost take the oxygen out the room. If you if you didn't know better, you would think that is the only group of moms out there that have an opinion about something. Well, you know, they like to say that they speak for parents. They like to say that they're representing um, parents and children. Uh, we we would respectfully say that, A, we've been working in this space for many years, uh, and they certainly don't represent the parents that I know, or, or me. <laughs> right. Um, I didn't know that you guys were the original group, so that's even more impressive. Um <laughs> Being in, in Chattanooga, I know you guys are sort of like close to Atlanta, sort of close to Georgia, um, and you guys would be, you know, not too far away from um, Marjorie Taylor Green type area. Um, do you guys ever hear or like see of any of her like constituents, I guess, um, like pushing back against you or or you guys like have local Chattanooga groups that are sort of pushing back against you? Well, you know, we were able to, you know, quietly work, I guess, under the under the radar for a couple of years. We've been doing, um, you know, events around our, our community since 2017. Uh, we've been doing story hours for children um, around the topics of, you know, how to talk about um, racism, how to talk about, um, uh, pride and and you know representation for our queer kids and our queer families. Uh, if we you know if we tried to do those events now, I think they would be a lot more controversial in this climate. But um, my point is, we you know we've been working in and around our community for uh, three or four years now. It really wasn't until the last eight eight months and this surgence of of far right parent groups uh, attacking things like, you know, masking in schools. Uh, we make a joke that they have a, like a moral panic bingo card. At, at first it was the masks, then it was CRT. 
um, then it was books con containing obscenity. Um, next, they're going to go after guidance counselors and social emotional learning. So it wasn't until those parent groups popped up that all of a sudden we had a huge target on our backs. Um, because one of, the, one of the things that we did in our second year of existence is start a uh, social project called the um, Classroom Library Project. And that's exactly what it sounds like. We went into um, Chattanooga's you know, grossly underfunded schools and you know we're a, we're a small group. We truly are a grassroots organization. So we don't we didn't have the funds to overhaul an entire school's library. But what we could do is one classroom at a time. So we were crowdsourcing um, from our community to go into a teacher's classroom and bring in you know new furniture for the kids, rugs, bookshelves, and then most importantly to give them new books and not just any books. And that's what um, that's what ended up being so controversial. Uh, we wanted we wanted the books that we put in those libraries to look like the kids who were reading them. So, you know, authors of color, about protagonists of color, LGBTQT titles um, and storylines, and holy, I'm gonna I'm gonna refrain from cursing. I'm sorry. Um, that has that has been the center of all this controversy is that we are putting quote unquote woke books into the hands of kids and um, trying to indoctrinate them. You know, it's it's funny, um, and we were talking a little bit before, but the, the terms that are used, it seems like the right has a, a singular talent that's sort of trying to like turn those words against you. And you mentioned like woke a moment ago. And to me, it's like, well, you know, we had this whole age in history we called the Enlightenment, right? And it seems like the Enlightenment was was an effort for society, at least Western society, to try to be, quote unquote, a little bit more woke. And now it's almost like, so we're pushing back against that concept now, um, which is insane to me. I was going to say, though, being a, a grassroots group, um, I'm surprised you haven't been... Um, accused of accepting money from like George Soros or something like that. seems like anytime you have a progressive, like, you know what I'm saying? A progressive, oh, well, you're getting paid by George Soros. Like, really? Okay. We've definitely been accused of it. I mean, we're still waiting on the check. Uh, if George right? Soros wants this a check, we'll take it to buy more books. But yeah, uh, as of yet, we, uh, we haven't received it. So I keep checking the mail, hoping it'll come. <laughs> Right, right. Uh, but that's, um, you know, I, I joke, but that's what's so frustrating is that, you know, these these moms um, for liberty groups are popping up all over the country and they are masquerading as though they are a grassroots organization. When we know that they are uh, very heavily funded and supported from, from far right uh, think tanks like the Heritage Foundation, they are receiving their talking points from the Heritage Foundation. That's why that's why they all uh, have the same talking points. And that's why they're so heavily funded and and already in the back pocket of, of some heavy hitters in Washington. But, you know, that doesn't happen overnight. There's there's some some serious coordination going on there. And it's it's distressing. No, you're right. And I think that's one of the reasons why they so adamantly put forth that that uh, critique of like secretly being controlled and funded by XYZ group 
because I think that's sort of like part and parcel of how they operate. Um, and right, no, seriously, because like if you look, like okay, for instance, and this is going outside the realm of Tennessee, but if you look at, for instance, um, when the other guy was still in office, um, and QAnon was not like QAnon has always been, um, well, to me pretty much insane right i mean come on like what are we talking about here but it's crazy because one of the things you always kept hearing from them was how and i, I don't even really want to repeat this stuff because it's insane but they were like what democrats like took like scared kids and got like the uh some type of i, I don't know do you remember what i'm talking about they were saying like oh, they extract oh, yeah. some type of uh nerve juice or something whatever but it's like, okay, so you guys are so concerned with this. And if that was happening, obviously everyone would be. Um, you guys had a guy go to a pizza shop, like, to look for secret rooms. Um, Matt Gates has literally paid an underage uh, woman for sex and drugs. Um, I've heard nothing be said about Matt Gates or, no. hey, let, let's get this guy out of here. It's like, I thought yeah, that's what we, you know. You're you're 100% right, and I I like I wish I had better news about that. But the the conspiracy theory overlap runs deep with these with these types of groups. We're seeing um, main we're seeing conspiracy theories that you just described being normalized and mainstreamed. I mean, if if you're even watching the um, the confirmation hearings for. Uh, for Supreme Court uh, nominee Jackson Brown, who is, you know, immensely overqualified, having to sit there and calmly, collectively answer absurd questions about her her sentencing on, you know, child pornography cases in front of her children, like as a mother. That hearing, and I quote, I had mistakenly assumed that child pornography offenders are pedophiles, so I went back and pulled that to show that it was a statement and not a question. So, Mr. Chairman, I ask permission to enter those. Without objection. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Um, we talked about abortion yesterday, and I want to go back to that um, or misunderstood. Senator, I don't, I don't have a context for that. I believe well, there are- Well, I'm going back to the comment on the sentencing commission. As you said, that not all child predators were pedophiles. Senator, I believe that all child predators are dangerous, um, that the behavior that they engage in is horrible, Okay. that yeah. it needs to be taken seriously by the court and by Congress in setting the penalties for their behavior. So, is it your position that child pornography offenders are not pedophiles? Senator, I believe that the statement that you referenced was a part of a hearing before the Sentencing Commission in 2012. Right. It was a meeting, yes. It was a I'm meeting. Right and here. and yes. what the Sentencing Commission does is it right. re reviews evidence about various things. And I believe I was... Right. And as I said yesterday, um, I, the children that are victimized, they don't understand the difference between an offender 
and a pedophile or a pornographer. To me, and so absurd to me that she's having to seriously entertain those questions when they are, um, there's, there's no question, are coming from uh, QAnon conspiracy theories that have been normalized in the culture now with these with these far-right groups. And it's it's absurd. There's really no other word for it. Like uh, calling us communists is no longer, no longer has the zing that it used to. So now they're jumping, they're jumping to um, these outrageous claims about you know child abuse and pedophilia and all that stuff. So you don't you don't agree with us, well, then you must be a pedophile. Like that, that is the line of, of argument that we're dealing with now. And how, how can you have an, a conversation with, with someone across the aisle when that's the lengths that they go to? Yeah, I definitely started seeing a lot of that when Biden was running for office, um, where like people that were against Biden would almost sort of say that as if it's like common knowledge. And you're just like, you can't just say that about someone you know like like has there been an accusation did someone like what are you talking about oh no it's just just common knowledge it's i don't know and what you were saying is so true it's just um the the overlap of the conspiracy theories and the the inability to just critically think um but bringing it back to tennessee i would say I feel like that's that's almost a direct correlation to the complete undermining of our public education system, specifically by Republicans. And when you look at Tennessee, like I feel like this year, Governor Lee has just had an all out assault on public education. Like, I don't think he would be displeased if we basically only had schools that were either charter or private and it was just like yeah we don't really have to worry about the public schools anymore because he doesn't seem to value them um and then you look at the legislation that has been passed uh, a lot of it supported by moms for liberty which to me the name is uh oxymoronic because how are you talking about we need to ban these things but you're professing in the title of your group that you're for liberty it's almost like orwellian like you know what i'm saying like oh yeah 100 percent. and i said that in my remarks last week is you know the it's it's ironic that the group that says they're for liberty um accept the liberty for kids to read um because again remember you know they're pushing back not against curriculum uh, they're pushing back against books in the library so that's not compulsory reads that's, you know, it's not enough for them to control what their own children read. They want to control what my kids read and what your kids read. And it, that, that's where it becomes um, really, really sinister because they can claim that it's about pornography or they can claim it's about profane language, but it's not. It's about the ideas in the books. They know the power of books and that what happens when kids read, when kids have access to information, they become more open-minded, more tolerant, more inclusive, more empathetic. And, and ultimately that's, that's terrifying to them. Um, but, but you're right, the, the push against books, the push against CRT, against masking policies is all just the umbrella, which is the push for privatization. They want to outrage parents enough 
to push them out of public schools and, and push for charters and privatization. You're, you've, you've hit the nail on the head there. That's what this is really about. Right, and I can't help coming back to, I know Governor Lee, um, I know Governor Lee took a, a lot of input um, from, uh, was it Betsy DeVos when she was Secretary of Education under the other guy? Um, and it seemed like that was her goal too, like was privatization um, of schools. And, and then um, if you look at her history, she has no background in education um, whatsoever. So it's like, so why would you put her in this position to control something that she has no fundamental understanding for? Like she never went to a public school, like every school she ever attended was private. So it's just really weird that they do this unless you know, or unless you feel like you know that like there's a, this, there's a goal to this. There's a reason Governor Lee takes someone who made their money manufacturing ammunition and then wants to put them on the board of education. Why? Like, why, why does this dude need to be there? Like, what, what is he representing? What viewpoint? What, what a uh, demographic? What, you know what I'm saying? Like, Oh yeah. It's, I mean, you said it a few minutes ago, you know, their long game for the last several years has just been an all out assault on um, public education and all of this, um, you know, activism from the, from the far right and the, the legislation that has been drafted as a result of that activism is, is part of that assault. You know, Tennessee is uh, poised to uh, pass legislation. I can't, I can't recall the, the bill number off the top of my head right now, but um, which is even worse than Florida's don't say gay bill. And you know, that might win them political points with uh, conservative parents, but let's not, let's not forget that there are kids behind this legislation. And, you know, when, when they're targeting our most vulnerable kids, they're most vulnerable to bullying, they're most vulnerable to suicide, um, and making them feel even more isolated and even more um, devalued, I that, believe that's that HB 800. World, yes, yeah. That has real world um, implications and devastating consequences for queer kids and their families. It's, it's heart-wrenching. Yeah, and, and it's like a lot of times, um, a lot of times it just almost comes off as I don't like this person or these people, so I'm going to do what I can to make their existence as torturous as possible. Um, it just seems malicious a lot of times. Like, yeah, one one hundred percent. It's mean. It's mean spirited. <laughs> and it's um, uh, and I, I, go ahead. Well, I just think that um, fingers crossed that I got my two month old asleep. Um, I think it's just the general um, terror that, that the right feels from the inevitable cultural shift that's happening around them. Like, like despite their efforts, uh, the generation of kids that, that are you know in college right now and my, my kids' generation, 
they're they're poised and and you know ready to be the most um, inclusive and loving uh, I think generations that we've seen in in a long time and there's no there's no stopping that but but man the the last like death grips of this old old guard are just like you said just totally malicious and and mean-spirited um i like that the last death grips i had a um a person one time and this was right when trump got elected um and they were saying that like they almost like what you were saying like okay so this is a, sort of like the last hurrah type deal like he's gonna get elected in on this rhetoric and then basically we should sort of move past that rhetoric and you know but this is like the the counter reformation if you will you know um and she was like the only way i can sort of bring uh myself to be okay with this is maybe this is like the pain that the rocket has to feel before it leaves orbit like this is the strain that you have to go through before you can actually like you know achieve orbit and i just sort of thought about that like okay maybe this is where we're at in tennessee where this is this is that last little growing pain and we're gonna have to work through this and then at that point everyone will get to a better point um and i think that's one of the reasons why there was such a dire push to pass or at least put up all this legislation that we've previously seen coming through the Tennessee State House. Um, to me, honestly, it almost feels like, like you were saying, like the, the fear, right? It almost feels like as soon as there was a realization of, okay, no one's really letting us keep the, the Confederate flags. Oh man, we're having to get rid of the bust of Nathan Forrest you know what, this has went too far. Now we have to, we have to stymie whatever it was that, that started this current of change from happening. Yep. Um, and I don't think this is like going to be the stop of it because I know they still have the fetal heartbeat bill um, that they have going through and the, the anti-CRT legislation that has already passed. Do you see do you see a space where you guys can get your message across to the point where you can actually start having impact on like elections and things of that nature? Because eventually that's what it's going to have to come down to. No, no doubt. I mean, so we are seeing, um, we're seeing our organization have um, impact on uh, local elections. And that that has been really um, promising for us, not not only in in pushing um, for candidates who align with a you know, I wouldn't even say a more progressive platform because sometimes even that's too that's too high of a bar. How about just a not awful platform? <laughs> um, but but beyond that, we are um, we are supporting and and pushing candidates from our own community to run for school board, um, run for county commission, um, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And, and we've seen success in that space. Now you're right, what we need to do is um, garner enough, enough support and enough um, 
influence that we're able to to see movement on um, you know state state elections, and that's going to take a little more time, I think. But I'll I'll be honest with you that um, as a result of uh, of this book discussion and um, the attention that that our organization has gotten because of it we are now um, having conversations with some of the, the state legislature um, players that we have, not been able, we have not been able to get those meetings before. And I think oh, what we're going to propose to them is essentially this, that if, there were, if the state Republicans are going to align with far right parent groups and use um, their platform to write legislation, then the Dems need to do the same thing. The Dems need to um, align with progressive parent groups because as I said at the beginning of this conversation, though groups like Moms for Liberty like to pretend they speak for all parents in Tennessee, they do not. They do not speak for me. They do not speak for any of the parents that I know. And to be honest, Rome, I don't even think that they speak for the majority of conservative parents because that that agenda they are pushing is so extremely to the right that even friends that I have who sit on, let's see, just right of center, even they don't align with that platform. So I, I really think the the state Dems need to be more strategic and and bringing um, parents from from the sane side of the aisle to uh, to speak up and speak out. Definitely. I mean, did you? Um, did did you watch the testimony of Moms for Liberty uh, there uh, disparaging our librarians, calling you know our librarians and our teachers like making horrible, outrageous accusations, testifying on the hill to this? It's it's outrageous. The same people that they were losing their mind because they couldn't make their kids go be with those people for eight hours a day. It was the impingement on freedom that you know what I'm saying like the kids couldn't be there but now these people are terrible um no you're right exactly. uh you're right I mean they're I, I I feel like they're very disingenuous um because it, what they say for the most part just doesn't it doesn't pass the smell test um <laughs> you know I mean it just doesn't like no just, no there's yeah like you like I would I would feel so much better if they would just come out and say, you know what, I don't want this book here because it makes me feel weird or it makes me, you know, feel like my kid might think I'm a bad person because I support policy A, B, whatever, whatever. But to be like, oh, well, well it shows pornography. Um, okay, well, you know, I know of this book that has like, um, you know, sex in it. It has a murder in it. Um this one guy like like kills someone and then hides it. He like covers it up. Oh, what are you talking about? Oh, the Bible. You know what I'm saying? Like exactly, exactly. Can, and, and I'm like, so glad you said that. That's what I was gonna say. By by their definition of pornography, we would have to we would have to categorize the Bible as pornography. Right. Um, I mean, you know, and a, I, I said a, that in Mark's old, last week. Like, go, go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, I was going to say, you have, like, a 13-year-old going to get sacrificed by their father. Like, this dude forces sex upon his domestic servant and then kicks her out into the desert. 
Like what? Yep. Like, but if I wrote this happening in like 2025, it gets on the band book list, but because it no, it's, it's okay. It's just no consistency to their argument. No. And you know, and that's that's the point that we were trying to make. And what I said last week at the school board is is that um, you know, as a general society. We do not, nor have we ever categorized every piece of written word that has sexual depictions within the context of a greater dramatic narrative as pornography. Like if we did, then, then practically everything we watched and read would fall under that label, including the Bible, including Shakespeare and so many other like beloved classic texts. So, so as you said, their argument doesn't hold water. Are they saying that we can talk about sex and violence so long as it's an iambic pentameter? Like it, that, Basically. that doesn't <laughs> as long as it's an old Talk English we're good as long as it's a rhyming couplet <laughs> right right but like like that's pretty much what it boils down to if you look at the crux of their argument um yeah we can discuss 100%. anything right anything's open for game as long as it was written 200 years ago or or more you know like yeah. we can't we can't be having any contemporary discussion Exactly. So that's when I when I say and I echo what you just said a few minutes ago that it's disingenuous. It's not really about the profane language. It's not even really about the explicit content content. It's it's about the ideas. They know what happens to kids when they read the hate you and and that's that's what scares them. Yeah, it's like um because they don't want to be self-reflective, they're terrified anyone else will be self-reflective. Yeah. Um, yep. Do you know, are that like, so, and this is just me guessing, um, if you don't know, that's fine. But like, are there positions like paid positions? So if I'm the head of Moms for Liberty Chattanooga, am I actually paid by an organization? Or is that supposed supposedly volunteer? I don't know the inner workings of their financials. I know that their um, members pay dues. Oh, wow. Uh, hmm. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm not exactly sure what those dues go towards. Um, right. Because at this huh. point, I'm, I'm curious to see if organizations like them, if they just exist to be, um, to be the negative, you know, talking points, or like if they're going to actually do um, social, like projects for the social good. Like I want right. to see, are we are we going to see you know backpack drives or you know no. book drives on their side? No. No. So far, I haven't seen anything like that. So I don't know where that money's going. Um, I don't know how familiar you are with like history. Um, I know I I dabble. Um, a little bit more interested than most people, and honestly, the. The Moms for Liberty is almost, to me, the new Daughters of the Confederacy. And I say that because after Reform Reformation, or Reformation, Reconstruction, excuse me, um, after Reconstruction, the United States obviously was going into, like, the the early industrial age and, um, oh, what am I saying? Not early industrial age, early modern, um, modern America, right? And this was the first time we had an actual regulated type educational model that was supposed to be for like everyone right this is the first time everyone's supposed to go to school compulsory uh education things of that nature the 
daughters of the confederacy were sort of able to get in on the bottom level on dictating textbook curriculum um that's why a lot of people up until like i mean uh, i don't know like the 50s probably got a textbook that literally the daughters of the confederacy read through and said okay yeah this is fine or no this isn't good um because of the states that would order the books that they approved of which would pretty would pretty much be the majority of the south led by texas their version almost became the uniform version because of the volume of textbooks being printed it cost a yeah. lot more money to then change something and print more so it would be like this is approved for this amount of books we'll just have it be approved for all the books right um and crt and things of that nature were really an attempt to delve deeper into history without the the slant of the daughters of the confederacy for lack of a better term and i almost feel like moms for liberty is attempting to fill that niche like we want oversight we want to say this book's okay we want to say this idea is okay we want to say this metaphor is okay and mm -hmm. if we can do that quote unquote it, it's better for the kids right my yeah. uh, i chuckle because we've we've made that um comparison many many times oh okay it's okay. like it's like the rebooted version <laughs> right no like seriously though it is and it's like and you look on um like news articles you look on tv and they get credence for some reason and i don't understand and that's another thing that sort of plays into what we we're talking about earlier about like is this really a grassroots thing or is this more like the tea party with like secret you know um strategy going into it but like how do you form this group and then all of a sudden the news comes to you to get your opinion on stuff you know that's just like so weird to me um but one of the things that i'm sure they were okay with was when governor lee rolled out his charter school curriculum do you remember that did you see that mm -hmm. um phil williams i believe from uh, nashville like a nashville news anchor sort of did an expose on it um obviously hillsdale college were the people that they had prepare the curriculum using what was it uh what was what was trump's thing uh, he had the anti-1619 what 1776 right the 1776 mm -hmm. project um which just right as an aside that just shows you how much they don't want to look at context because there's no way you can talk about america and start with 1776 like think about a history what? teacher being like hey we're gonna talk about america okay well 1776 like well what happened before why did it lead to that was it yeah. you know what i'm saying like they never want to get into context they just want you to accept the narrative they're giving you um did you see the hillsdale curriculum oh yeah we we uh spent uh a few painful hours um looking through it and it's it's just atrocious it's like yeah. uh there was literally a part that said government started overstepping their bounds in the civil rights movement when they forced integration and it's like oh okay well tell me how you really feel you know i'm i'm trying to be measured and be polite here um but i 
it's been a it's been a long eight months um, of dealing with this this type of thing. Uh, you know, we often see it go around. Um, if you wonder what you were doing, what you would have been doing in the '60s during the civil rights movement, what you're doing now is exactly what you would have been doing. And I I wonder um, how how they feel about that within within themselves. You know, if if we could imagine who in our society would be protesting uh, integration, I, I have a, a good idea who it would be. I, I, that's what I'm gonna say. Right, and that's, I mean, and that's one of the things I do like about history because you can always go back and look. When you talk about who would be protesting integration, um, one of the things that's very telling is look at the proliferation of private schools in the South after integration became the law of the land, you know? <clears throat> You're like, well, why, does, why is there so many private schools down in the city? It's not even that big, or this region's not even that, well, this is why um, yeah. they didn't want to integrate. And I see that same mindset in the charter schools. It's almost like they found a new workaround. Um, and they're like, okay, we have this new workaround with the charter schools, push the charter schools, get as many kids as we can in charter schools. And I'm, I'm almost certain if Phil Williams hadn't done the expose on the Hillsdale College curriculum, that, that would have been what they were rolling with. Yep. Like, and so you would have had whole generations just, yeah, learning this just bogus interpretation of history. Um, and it's just, it's just really telling. It's like no, no one's really trying to hide that much anymore. No, no. I mean, um, I, thankfully it got voted down. But you know, just a few months ago, they were they were pressing to have books about uh, Ruby Bridges uh, taken out of the curriculum because they they really did not want to have frank discussions with kids about what what happened there. Um, and that's, you know, that just goes, that goes to the, the question of, you know, white parents um, feeling like they want to, you know, quote unquote, protect the innocence of their children. And they don't want to bring up the topics like racism to their children. Um, you know, I would, being a white parent myself, I would push back on that. Um, to say that you know we've seen over and over again our our black and brown parents tell us you know if our kids are young enough to experience racism then your kids are young enough to learn about racism and I, what is there to say about that then you're absolutely right and i have uh, a nine-year-old kid uh, we've been talking with him about you know um racial equity and, and um, love and inclusion of our LGBTQT family for, you know, since he would just could, could speak. And miraculously, um, he doesn't hate himself. You know, he's, that's, that's the, I think the argument that a lot of these, these um, parent groups have is that, that we're teaching our white kids to hate themselves. And I'm, I'm saying, as, as a white parent with white kids, that could not be further from the truth. We are not giving kids enough credit 
kids are able to have really um, new, beautifully nuanced conversations about tough subjects, still love themselves and, and still, uh, uh, you know, understand things like the need to push for, for racial uh, equity and, and uh, you know, gender fluidity. Right. And that's a, that's a really good point. Um, the narrative of like, oh, well, we're teaching, we're teaching black kids, they're going to have a victim mentality. And we're teaching, you know, white kids that they should feel um, uh, sorry for being born white or, you know, feel bad for being born white. And I, I just always, I always have to ask myself, like, for instance, um, my least, least favorite elected representative, Marsha Blackburn, right? I've seen her parody similar sentiments before. And in my head, I'm always asking myself, well, do you hate yourself, Marsha? Like, like you're pushing policy right now that's sort of racist. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, like I don't I don't think you hate yourself. Like, why would they hate themselves? They had nothing to do with it. They're freaking kids. But at the same time, going back to the the hypocrisy of it all. So you think these kids are going to hate themselves because they're white and you tell them that white people have perpetrated bad things in the past, yet you tell them that they're born into sin and only Jesus could die to save them. So literally someone had to die because they're so bad, but that doesn't make them feel like they're a bad person, does it? Like they can still go on with their life with that information, right? So like, why is them Ooh, knowing that bro. they were born? I mean, you get what I'm saying, though. Like, no, like, it's totally true. That's that is a whole other conversation. Um, one hundred percent. I mean, I'm, I call myself a recovering evangelical. I'm the daughter of the Southern Baptist preacher, and those, you know, that that indoctrination and dogma runs deep. And you're you're absolutely right. There's a real um, disconnect, and and I think. Um, them seeing the parallels that you just described. Yeah, I, try, I don't know. I like um, try not to venture into the weeds too much, but I just have these like, like to me, it's a one-to-one -one comparison, but I digress. Um, so do you guys have anything like coming up here uh, soon? Any events or anything like that? What would be the best way for someone to show their support? for your, your cause or join? Yeah, um, well, number one, you're, everyone is welcome to, to join our community where, you know, Moms for Social Justice, Chattanooga Moms for Social Justice on Facebook and on Insta. Um, if you are interested in uh, starting um, a Moms for Social Justice group in your community, you can reach out to us. We'd, we'd love to chat with you because it's totally doable. We started with four moms in my living room and here we are, you know, four and a half years later and we have a, a community of almost 3000. And that's that's not insignificant in a pretty small, uh, you know, mid-sized city in the deep South. <laughs> so right. uh, yeah, we, um, we are really, um, you know, heavily and entrenched in what's going on in our public school right now. But once school is let out, we will um, be gearing up for um, for local and state elections. Uh, we're we're pretty heavily involved in that. And then, um, you know, we we do fun things now and then. We're going to do like a pride um, story hour for kids. 
and um, some summer camp stuff for kids. So just just keep an eye on us uh, on us on social and see what we're up to. And if you're around, um, please join us. Quick question: Do you have to be a mother to join Moms for Social Justice? Absolutely not. We have dads. We have um, college kids. We have aunties and parents and um, everything in between. Um, we just we call ourselves the Moms for Social Justice because that's how we started. I got you. I got you. Um, Rome, so you, you can be an official mom for social justice. <laughs> I. I extend that to you hey i appreciate it i appreciate it um do you guys do like podcasts or anything you got a youtube anything like that oh you know we've we've talked forever about doing a podcast maybe one day we will but we're you know we're moms with little little kids so it's time time and um noise level is the factor so no not yet I understand look we need to conversate about that i think you guys could could have a very um strong reach if you guys did that and i'm i'm sure just from talking to you today that you could provide a lot of insight to people um and i found the podcast is really easy if you're concise and you know have a point you could probably get a lot of information out to people within like 10 to 15 minutes something like that because you know you're not really trying to do it for entertainment right you're trying to do it for information so you don't have to necessarily put all the bells and whistles and, you know what I'm saying? Just, hey, this was happening. This is why it's messed up. This is what we can do to change it. Boom. Done. Uh, yeah, we should, we should have some conversations about that. Um, that's totally not um, my wheelhouse, but, um, but I'd be interested to talk with you about that further and get, kind of get your thoughts on it. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Um, do you know... Because I'm in Knoxville, Tennessee. I don't know if I, I think I might have mentioned that. Um, are you guys in Knoxville? Because I didn't see anything. Um, Knoxville had a chapter that started about a year ago. Um, and then, okay. you know, as often happens in life, moms have busy. life changes. Yeah, yeah, life changes happen. So um, MSJ Knoxville is in search of of leadership that wants to just take the reins and go. And if, if that's you, if there's anybody in Knoxville that's interested in that, please reach out to us because there is a community there. There's a community there that's waiting to, to get um, active and, and ready to get um, some, some steering and leadership in the right direction. Indeed, indeed. Um, I do very much appreciate you speaking with me. Is there anything <clears throat> before we get off the recording that you want to tell people or feel like needs to be emphasized? I, I think um, what, what I just said basically is that, um, you know, if you're, if you're out there in your community and you find yourself feeling um, just really outraged about what's going on and, and wanting to get, um, active in your community, let, let me express for me to you that it's totally possible. If, if you have one or two friends who feel the same way, or even if it's just you, um, we started our organization with four moms and, and you know, we have grown steadily since. What I, what I find is if you put yourself out there, you put your, your views out there, um, 
you might be surprised who's feeling the same way and who's who's ready to get active. And that's what it's gonna take. If we're going to stand a chance against some of this really um, outrageous and disgusting legislation, it is going to take normal parents taking some time out of their day to um, make a phone call to their to their state senators or send an email. Um, these are very, very simple tasks that don't take a lot of time, but it's gonna take all of us. Indeed, indeed. Thanks for listening to the Tennessee Progressive League podcast. It was a great conversation with Chattanooga Moms for Social Justice. Make sure you check in with them on Facebook, Instagram, and also check us out, Tennessee Progressive League, Facebook and Instagram as well.